The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Austin left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he plants one. Way back. It's one out. Pete Alonso, he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, I told you this was going to be fascinating. He's the president of the Atlantic League. Rick White joins us here on A's Cast Live. Rick, we truly appreciate the time, and we are fascinated to learn about all the different things you're doing in your league, what's working, and what you think is not working. Thank you for coming on today. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. First off, how did this deal come down between your league and Major League Baseball? It's, it's largely unknown outside of our relationship with MLB, but we've had a formal relationship with the commissioner's office now for roughly five years. We send so many players back to big league organizations that it was essential at the time that we create a working agreement to govern that transmission. And since that time, we've become more close to the commissioner's office. One thing led to another. And in December, at the winter meetings, they approached us with what has now become the partnership where we are testing MLB rules and initiatives and in exchange, uh, they are helping us out with some of the resources they can provide that we could really use to make our league run better. Oh, it's, it's wonderful. And I'm, I'm not a get-off-my-lawn kind of guy. I, I, I like change. I like to see constantly trying to improve the game. And the one thing that I'm really fascinated about is TrackMan, when we're looking at the radar tracking system, calling balls and strikes. A lot of people like to call it RoboUmp. You guys have extended that now to the end of the season. Tell me how it's working for you. Well, so far we've tested it and then we've unveiled it at our All-Star game here a couple of weeks ago. Tomorrow night we go live in all of our games, and we'll satisfy that through the conclusion of our season in September. Our tests have gone marvelously. Uh, We've had the opportunity now to train all of our umpires. We have run countless numbers of tests with the communication equipment that has been utilized to connect the TrackMan Advanced Analytics System to the umpires themselves and back to the TrackMan operator. Uh, That took a little bit of doing. TrackMan itself has never been in question. It is accurate. It is reliable. It's been used by Major League Baseball for well over a decade. So that part's great. The transmission to the umpires is being utilized on a Wi-Fi system. And like any other technology, There are sometimes interruptions that we have to troubleshoot, but we're in a position now where we feel quite confident that the games are going to run seamlessly and they will be extraordinarily ordinary. 
How are the players taking it, pitchers and hitters? Do they like it, dislike it? What is the feedback? I, I will, I will uh, answer by way of illustration. The very first time we tra- tested the ABS system, we apprised our managers that we were going to be conducting those tests, and the first thing that we had to do was to set up the system, set up the communications, outfit an umpire, get him in uniform and in pads behind a catcher with a BP pitcher on the mound. Out of nowhere, there were 50 players. Virtually everybody on both rosters came out with their mobile devices, and they started taking literally photographs of what was going on. They started shooting videos. They started interviewing each other. And each of these players was giddy with excitement and incredibly attuned to the fact that they were part of something much bigger than themselves, bigger than our league. And they understand that this could impact the game for years to come. Almost to a person, they are enthusiastic, they're excited, they are anxious to participate, and on a uh, playing level, Pitchers like the fact that we're now calling 100% of the rule book strike zone. We've given them back the gift of the high strike that hasn't been called throughout professional baseball for decades. Hitters are excited because the strike zone will be consistent from day to day, park to park, umpire to umpire, believe it or not, inning to inning. And these guys are good. They're that far away from Major League Baseball and they can adjust to the full strike zone. So both hitters and pitchers are tremendously excited, and they want to get it on. So tomorrow night is as big for them as it is for the league. In your opinion, will we see this in Major League Baseball soon? I think we will see automated balls and strikes in Major League Baseball. I can't tell you with any accuracy, how long that could be. I think the logical next step is that next year what we're doing will be transferred to AAA, perhaps AA affiliated ball. But in Major League Baseball, there are a couple of hurdles that have to be passed before this can be utilized. Now, I'm assuming from what I read and what my players tell me that the MLB players will be equally enthusiastic. But in Major League Baseball, they have to overcome a challenge that we don't, and that is the Major League Baseball Umpires Association. Major League Baseballs are protected by Major League Baseball umpires are protected by an advocacy group. They have the concerns you would expect they would have out of any advocacy group or union. And they have increasingly been public about uh, a skeptical uh, stance regarding automated balls and strikes. I dare say, though, as they learn more and they see the example set by our umpires, they will learn that we are not compromising jobs. In fact, we're probably asking more of our umpires than ever before. And I don't believe that we are compromising compensation. Again, we're not advocating the elimination of an umpire, nor is anybody at Major League Baseball. And, in fact, 
our umpires cannot be nonchalant. If they think that the system is going to do the work for them, they will quickly find out that they are in over their heads. Um, there is an override system in our league around the test, which says for actions such as a hit by pitch, a check swing, a swing through the, the strike zone with a pitch that otherwise would be called a ball for catcher's interference, for a ball that strikes the infield dirt but bounces up through the strike zone, our umpires have to be alert and be ready to call that, in addition to running the game and calling all the plays at the plate. So this is not an easy task. And I think as people begin to understand this, they will, they will realize that MLB, through their test, is honoring umpires. They are treating them in a very traditional manner. No one is compromising the umpires in any way. And we're doing it in a way that is supposed to look traditional. Uh, that's why I said extraordinarily ordinary. If we do this right, our guests at our games are going to say, wow, those guys called a great game tonight. But they're not going to say there was some looming umpire or machine looking over their shoulder determining the balls and strikes. So uh, when we unveiled this at our All-Star game, I think most of our fans went home and said, that was a really fun game. And, wow, that was great. And, oh, by the way, they used, they used uh, TrackMan to call balls and strikes. I didn't even realize they were doing it. That, that's what I think we're ultimately going to get to. Now, the one that's controversial for a lot of people, and follow the Atlantic League on Twitter, at AtlanticLG, is the pitcher has to face three batters. And a lot of people up here, I've heard, they don't like, they, they just, they can't get their arms around it. So tell me, how, how is that rule working? First, let me talk about the rationale. Um, Major League Baseball has only suggested to us test initiatives that have been heavily researched, that are in response to that research, and for which they have a very clear criteria in terms of what they're trying to address. In the case of a minimum three-batter appearance rule, MLB is responding to fans who say, do we really need to go pitch by pitch, batter by batter, with seemingly endless relief pitchers coming in to face a lefty and then a different pitcher to come in and face a righty and so forth and so on. Uh, thus far for us, this has been one of the easier tests to uh, work on. First of all, our pitchers, once they understood the vagaries of the rule, had no issue with it whatsoever. They know they're going to come in to face batters. They know that if they continue past the inning's end, they will be completing three full plate appearances. And I haven't heard a word from pitchers regarding how this has affected them. I think in some quarters there's a bit of relief because our pitchers don't want to come out, face one batter, and go in and take a shower. They really are competitors. They're warriors. They want to succeed. And frankly, I think they appreciate the looks that this is giving them with MLB scouts and folks who evaluate advanced analytical data on the player development side.
Another one that's fascinating to me is the batter being able to take first base at any time when the catcher, if there's a pass ball, wild pitch, whatever. My thing is, how does it get scored? Is it scored a base hit? Is it scored a stolen base? What are you? What's the reward for a hitter? Let's let's remember that this is a test, and in this test in particular, Major League Baseball does not in their current statistics and scoring system, have a way to accurately score this play. So we started and went for a long weekend with this play being ruled a fielder's choice. We and Major League Baseball quickly realized that we were disincented the batter to become a batter runner and try to get on to first base because even though they would be successful getting on first base, it was hurting them in terms of a plate appearance without a hit and therefore their batting average suffered. So currently the play is being called a base on balls. Uh, The intuition here is it correctly penalizes the defensive team, if not with the same precision MLB would like, but what they are going to do at the conclusion of the season is go back in and create a special ruling specifically for stealing first base that will be retroactive for all the players in our league, but at the same time, we'll take into account the risk the batter runner is taking and also the defensive liability for allowing that to happen, whether it's a wild pitch or a pass ball. Don't forget, though, that if the batter runner is thrown out at first base, it's a simple force play. So then it does become a fielder's choice or a a simple, uh, in this case, two-to-one put out. Let's end on this. Out of all the stuff you're doing, what have you said, yeah, I don't think this works? The, you know, it, it is not for us to criticize or to evaluate the success of tests. That's up to Major League Baseball because these are truly their tests. But if there's one where I think that someday there will be an adjustment for us, it is on the zero mound visits per game rule. Uh, Currently, a pitcher can only be visited by the manager to either be relieved of his responsibilities and replaced by a relief pitcher or be removed for purposes having to do with his health, i.e. if he's injured. Um, We think, uh, or our pitchers have fed back to us, that they would like at least one mound visit to be allowed, especially for starters. Uh, They really do think there's something to this notion that if you get yourself in trouble, you can recover. But it's nice to have your composure aided by a pitching coach or a manager. I don't know if that is ever going to make a difference. We've expressed that view to the folks at MLB. Their thinking is, let's give this a test. Let's see how how, uh, we can deal with this in the future. In some regards, we are a victim of our own success. We were the first professional league to put a limit on mound visits or or on-field conferences during the game. Our limit last year was three. Um, 
managers or infielders would only confer on two occasions because they were always trying to save that last one through the end of a game. Uh, so Major League Baseball picked up on that, and they said, let's try zero. I think there will probably be a happy medium down the road. But again, it is not for us to make that evaluation. It's entirely up to MLB. Rick, I told people before you came on, I said this is going to be fascinating, and you absolutely delivered. Thank you so much for the time. And if there's anything you ever want to promote, we would love to have you on again. Well, we're absolutely flattered at your interest in the league. Thanks so much, and I'll look forward to the next time. So now we can call him the voice of summer. We can call him the voice of your athletics. We can also call him a Hall of Famer. The great Ken Korak joins us from Houston. Buddy, congratulations. This is a big league honor. Hey, I appreciate it, man. Now, you're getting a little carried away, but I do appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. No, I mean, Ken, look at the names and the people that you are joining in all the years. I mean, this isn't – we're not Podunk USA. We're one of the largest markets in the country. And when you get into this Hall of Fame, you're joining some of the greatest broadcasters who have ever lived. Well, and one of them I work with, of course, in Bill King, and I do appreciate that, Chris. And I just – you know, honestly, I just wanted to play whatever part I could play. And there's been such a legacy and tradition, like you said, of broadcasting. And um, I did my first game in the Bay Area, a high school game, in Petaluma in the fall of 1980. So we're talking about uh, 39 years ago. And, you know, I have to tell you that, that you mentioned uh, a lot of the, the greats who uh, really uh, paved the way in the Bay Area, I think, in broadcasting, even going back to the 50s, uh, Chris. And so many of them were my idols. And you and I have talked about this a little bit, that uh, when I started working at KCBS in the, in the mid-'80s, um, it was intimidating in a way because I kind of felt like, how in, how in the world could I ever get as good as those guys? And that was, that was a difficult thing to, to kind of wrestle with at that point. And I think that, like all of us, you kind of come around to thinking that uh, the only person you can be is yourself. You have to sink or swim by uh, being yourself in this business. Yeah, I'm looking at the names now, and, and it's really a who's who of people that have been in our industry, in our area. You, we, we actually talked about it down in Anaheim when you were first announced to be one of the finalists. What was it like when you finally got the call? Well, it was cool, and, and one of the things on, on Saturday is um, a couple people tweeted it. Uh, so actually, I actually found out before they made the official announcement uh, they had a big radio day in the Bay Area over in the East Bay on Saturday that Stan Bunger, I believe, emceed. And then Ben Fong Torres made the announcement of the Hall of Famers. But, um, you know, Chris, it's, it's, if, you, if you think back at people like Bill King and Lon Simmons and Hank Greenwald, and I, I don't want to go on and on because I'm going to leave people out, uh, the Bay Area has a really special tradition from that standpoint. And I think if you think of these guys, uh, they went beyond just the nuts and bolts and calling play-by-play. -play. I think there's, there was always this, this feeling about these guys that they, were, they, had, they brought a certain artistry to the broadcast, Chris, that they were cultured people. Um, you know, there was an erudition to their, their broadcasting, and they, you know, they took it to the next level. And that was one of the great things about working with Bill. So uh, it's just the Bay Area... You know, Chris, the Bay Area has been a really special place to me. And I don't know if I would have had uh, even a modicum of success as I, if I had worked in a different market. Uh, it's just been a really good fit. And I, I just feel really privileged to have had the chance to work in the market. 
You know, I, I think about when you work next to somebody for a long time that you learn things from them. What do you think is the number one thing you learn from Bill King? Well, it's interesting you'd, you'd ask that because I think, I think the learning from Bill, much of it took place before I ever met him, which was one of the incredible things about working with him because I had literally listened to Bill for 30 years before we worked together. And so as a kid back in the 60s, if I tuned the radio in just right, I could listen to the Warrior games and the incredible descriptions and dedication. And Bill was a wordsmith. As you know, and I've written about it, we've talked about it, how Bill would write a couple of new words in his scorebook before every game because he wanted to work those words into his vocabulary. But when I work with him, it was the passion. Uh, you know, Bill never did anything halfway, right? He's, he either, it was love or hate for Bill in his life, and that's the way that he, he lived. He lived life on, on its own terms, on, on his own terms. But I think it was the passion that Bill brought to every broadcast and the preparation and the dedication. I never, I mean, there were, like all of us, there were days in which he was better than other days, but he never took a day off. And I think that's one thing that, uh, even when he got older, Chris, and you know him, you knew him very well, that when he got older and he had the license maybe to, to mail it in, um, he was always dedicated to his preparation. So I think that's the, that's the one thing that stood out for me. And that's one thing that I think about for you is, and I don't think a lot of people, I mean, the big league lifestyle, it's not easy. It really isn't. And it's one thing when you're a young man making millions of dollars versus when you're older and the travel's not easy and going from town to town. The fact that you never mail it in, what does it mean to you to bring it every single night for this wonderful fan base who loves you so much? Well, I appreciate you saying that, but that's our obligation. After all, it's not the worst assignment in the world to go to the ballpark for a living. Uh, and I think you have to love it. I mean, there are days when you have to grind through it more than others, uh, like you would or any, anyone would do in, in their line of work. And when you're, you're tired or you haven't gotten a whole lot of sleep, but um, I think there's a certain discipline that you, you learn over the years. And that was a, a tough lesson for me to learn back in the minor league days. I did my first full season in the minor leagues in 1984. I had like three or four days off in five months. And that was a, a tough transition. But then you kind of get used to the routine of it. Uh, Chris, and the other thing is I've, I work with really good people. Uh, the first assignment I had today when I got to the ballpark was recording the Bob Melvin show, and we're so lucky to have him. So when you're surrounded by uh, the people I've worked with and all the folks that make up our broadcasting team, like you know Vince and yourself and every, all the engineers, Mike Baird and the rest of the gang, uh, and the A's have been incredible to work for, Chris, and that they've given me freedom to do my job uh, for 24 years. I haven't looked over my shoulder wondering what they were thinking. Uh, they've trusted me to tell their story. And that doesn't happen uh, every day in our business. Well, I'm going to knock on wood, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to piggyback on that. For all the years and all the different shows and all the different hours I have been on the air around the Oakland Athletics, I have never, ever had one person come up to me and say, because I've said some critical stuff, uh, I've never had one person come up to me and say, hey, you can't say that or, hey, you can't do that. And it's one of the reasons why I left 95-7 the game and, and took this job to work for the A's full time. It, it's the trust that they have, and they allow us to do our jobs. Just how wonderful is that for them as our bosses, that they let us be who we are and they let us do it the way we think we know it's best? It's almost impossible to measure how much that means. 
because if you to try to do a game looking over your shoulder or if your stomach is tied up in knots and you're worrying about what people are going to say in the front office and my feeling has been you, you hired me to do a job let me do my job and if you feel like you can get somebody that uh, can do it better then you know it'd be time to make a change and i think it's it also speaks to the the bay area chris and that we're not expected to be homers i mean i think Anyone who listens to an A's game knows that I've been closely associated with the team for all these years, and we enjoy it when the team plays well. But there has never been an expectation, uh, like, for instance, that we call the team we or us or that we blatantly root for the ball club. And I think that's one of the reasons why working in the Bay Area has been so attractive to me. And then I think also your time doing other sports. You know, a lot of A's fans just think of you as Ken Korak, the voice of the athletics, the voice of summer. But, you know, for my beloved San Jose State, you did football at San Jose State. You did some really big college basketball games when UNLV was riding high and they were one of the top uh, programs in the country. Talk about the other sports you've done in your career. Well, thanks, Chris. And it was great hearing from, I heard from so many people from down in San Jose and the San Jose State people have been wondering, uh, wonderful the last three or four days. So and Lawrence Fan is still there. Uh, well before you played for the Spartans and I was doing games, you know, Lawrence was the sports information director. Uh, he's been there for 40 years now, literally. Uh, well, I never set out in the business to focus on one sport. As a kid growing up, I was equally a fan of football and baseball and basketball, and, and so I idolized people like, like Bill, who did all three. Dick Enberg, I think, was one of the, the great uh, multi-sport broadcasters, and he was a real hero of mine, so... I figured I wanted to give this business my best shot. I didn't know if I'd get a break, Chris, or if I did, uh, where the break would come, if it would be in, in one of the other sports. So I, I tried to be um, equally dedicated to all three. And I was lucky, I think, for about 22 years, I was able to do all three uh, during the same year. Tell us the difference between doing all three, because all three are, it's a different style. It's just, it's just, it's just different. It is what it is. It is. But I think if you're accomplished at one, you should have a chance to be accomplished in the other. Um, I'll leave other people to judge whether I was any good or better in one or better at the other. Uh, the biggest transition for me was going from basketball to baseball, especially during the days when I was doing UNLV's games. And they were, it was pretty intense at the end of those seasons. And normally, uh, they'd wind up in the postseason either in the NC2A or the NIT. So there's a real intensity. And now you go to spring training where it's really laid back. You have to pull back a little bit. But um, I think of the three, uh, there was more intensity for football, Chris, because everything, and, you know, now you're involved with the Raiders broadcast where you, the whole week would build up to football. And I think the kind of the, the amount of energy it takes to do a football game um, I think that might might have been the most intense. Uh, you know, basketball, uh, you're right there, and, it, you know, you, it takes about a half hour to memorize the names and the numbers, and you do the game. Um, I've always said this, and it, it may sound a little uh, self-indulgent, I guess, in a way, that, that baseball is the greatest test of a broadcaster's ability to communicate because of all the downtime. And I think that's one reason why uh, baseball was Bill's favorite sport to broadcast, because... Um, if you can't communicate, if you can't articulate, if you haven't done your homework, if you don't have a command of the language, then I think, uh, at least in radio, uh, doing baseball, you're going to get exposed.
Yeah, and, and I just think that thing when I always think of B- Bill King, I always think of the call, and he tells John Madden to get his big butt off the field. <laughs> get your big butt off the field. He does. Uh, I had to ask Madden about that when I was writing my book about Bill. <laughs> you know, I'm interviewing Madden, and I said, so how did it, you know, what did you think when you heard the, the replay of that and you heard Bill say, get your big butt off the field? <laughs> He was great. He was in good humor, so uh, that was really cool. You know, the one thing about the book that I I think about for you is really you got a chance to interview some of the biggest names in the history of sports, whether we're talking baseball, we're talking about NFL, we're talking about NBA. That had to be such a thrill for you to, to, to sit down with these Hall of Fame, some of the biggest names of all time. Yeah, thanks, Chris. It it really was. I didn't I didn't set out to do it. It was almost by accident because I wanted to tell Bill's story. But Bill's story was so woven into the history of the Bay Area. And there are people that forget that Bill worked on the Giants broadcast beginning in '59. They did Cal football and basketball on the radio. So his it, it was impossible for me to separate Bill's history from uh, the history of Bay Area sports. And they're both so rich and intertwined. So it kind of evolved into me thinking that, you know, this is kind of a little bit of a of a Bay Area sports history and to a certain degree a, a little bit of a cultural history too. Once you get put into a Hall of Fame, they can never take it away from you. Congratulations. <laughs> Well-deserved. And now I can call you, not only can I call you the voice of summer, but I can call you HOF. This kind of stuff happens when you get older, Chris. But <laughs> I do appreciate it. It's, it's I'm, I'm really thrilled. And I think that. You know, the, the best thing about it was hearing from so many people, uh, friends and, and co-workers and people I've worked with. And, uh, you know, that, that has been the, the really, truly uh, the best part of this honor, but, and, and yourself included. So I appreciate it, man. All right. The big reward for you is you don't have to do pregame today. You're off. I love it. All right, buddy. I, I, Thanks, I, will, I will talk to you in the third. Thanks, Chris. Robert, it's Chris Townsend with A's Cast Live. We appreciate we appreciate you taking the time. Hey, how are you guys? We're doing phenomenal, and you know we've basically had your entire cast of MLB Central on. We had we had D Row on last week, so it's always great to have uh, the guys from the network. Because you know, it, it, things have changed so much in baseball. When, when we all started, first started covering this game, when you were in the clubhouse, it was always on ESPN. Now everywhere you go, yeah. it's on it's on it's on the network. And for us baseball junkies, we're watching it twenty four seven. That's one of the things that we. Uh, are aware of and take pride in is that we know that uh, the players are watching, the coaches are watching, uh, front office people are watching. So uh, we try to be as informative as as possible and uh, make sure that uh, we're, you know, we're we're, we're doing right by them and, and as accurate and as entertaining as possible. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, for what you guys do, and you do a great job doing, is when you do stuff in the morning, it's not as hardcore as you're doing it actually during games at night. You, you got to have fun when you do a morning show. Yeah, and we try. I mean, we have we have a good group. We have uh, uh, Lauren and, and Dero are great to work with, and and our whole crew behind the scenes, our producer, our uh, our editors, and uh, it, it's really a collaborative effort. We have a lot of creative people, and and you're right, you. You want to try to put a different spin 
uh, on the on the highlights that that people have been seeing throughout the early morning, and uh, you know try to have a little fun and not take to our not take ourselves too seriously. That's I think that's the key for uh, for us to be successful. Yeah, and I, and I think about for like your career, it's kind of like what we're doing here. We're the only team in baseball that is allowed to have this. We're on the TuneIn app. It's a 24-7 station where you can hear the game, you can hear the pre and the post game, and then, of course, we have this live talk show, and everybody in baseball is really embracing it because this really is the future where teams will eventually break away from terrestrial radio. You kind of did the same thing with your career all these years watching on ESPN to leave the mothership to go to the network. That had to be a huge thing for you in your career. Yeah, I, I was at, at ESPN uh, for 11 years, and it was great, and it was um, it was everything that I had dreamed of as a kid. But you know, just like the athletes that we cover and the and the players that we cover, sometimes you just need a change and new challenges, new new environments, and um, it doesn't mean that you weren't uh, you, you weren't happy at, at for, for most of your tenure at one place you just want something new and, and MLB Network was uh, was uh, uh, good enough to uh, offer me a spot almost four years ago and and it's been great yeah what is it like baseball every day all day 365 well I, I tell you I've I've learned um, so much about the game and just from being around uh, our analysts and uh, just looking at the game a different way, um, learning about strategy, learning about what players do to, you know, or what they're doing in the game, what they're doing before the game. So I've certainly gained a new appreciation for just how, uh, how difficult this game is, um, you know, and, and it's a testament to, to the talent that, that these guys have, because oftentimes they make make it look so easy, but, uh, when you talk to our analysts at MLB Network, they can tell you just how difficult it is to play this game day in and day out, much less to do it at a high level. You can watch Robert co-host MLB Central out here on the West Coast at 7 a.m. Plus, MLB Network will feature the Yankees and the Red Sox tomorrow and Friday at 4 p.m. You know, we are talking about this earlier where it, it, it's just there's been no movement. There's been very little movement. Mm-hmm. You look at the Yankees made a move, the Red Sox made a move, and the A's made a move, and that's pretty much it. And kind of like the yeah. offseason, we didn't see a whole lot in free agency. We, we were supposed to have this crazy dead, deadline this year because of no waiver wire process after the 31st, and, and it's just gone cold. Why do you think? Well, I think that, I, that the deadline for me, I think it's a little early. Uh, I would like to see the one deadline push back to, say, August 15th. Give, t- uh, give teams a little bit more time to figure out who they are, where they are in the standings. Um, I mean, look, look at the, the, the wild card standings. It, it is jam-packed in both the AL and National League. Uh, the National League Central is very tight. Um, the, the American League East it looks like the Yankees are going to win it. The Astros have opened up a, a little bit of room on the Oakland A's. Uh, but there are so many teams still in it. And I also think that what the San Francisco Giants have done recently has really thrown a monkey wrench into what this was, what this deadline was supposed to look like because they were going to be sellers. And Madison Bumgarner was going to be a big high-ticket item, a big piece 
uh, for, for a team to go after. So with them going on this unbelievable run, it has put them, it's put Farhan Zaidi in a very difficult position. I think he has the most difficult choice to make in this next uh, few days. So I think that's really thrown a monkey wrench into what should have been a maybe put it back a couple of weeks. And then you think about all these executives. They value prospects more than ever. Have your analysts mm-hmm. talked about that? Yeah, I think it is, it's a couple of factors. Look, the, I think players come into the game um, better prepared. They're, they're more skillful uh, than, were, than, say, their predecessors, predecessors generations ago. And, and look, um, young, controllable talent is is something that appeals for a variety of reasons to the teams um i I will say this that we we place so much emphasis on prospects we know about them earlier than in years past we know about them when they're in a ball and when they're in double a ball but not but that doesn't mean that all of them are going to uh make a splash at the big league level um it's a fine line it's a very very difficult uh tightrope to walk for these general managers and these these vice presidents of baseball ops is what what is the you know what what is the tactic are you winning now are you going for it at the expense of maybe down the road it's a very very fine line to walk and with so many people bunched up in the national league you don't want to tell your fan base you're not trying and that really is a tough thing for a lot of these front offices as, you, you know, you're, you're sniffing around 500. You might be a little bit over, a little bit under. But what a bad message to start selling people off when you actually have a shot at the wild card. Yeah, I mean, on, on one hand, you can say, look, even if we get to the wild card, can we win beyond just one game? Uh, can we make a serious run? But on the other hand, if you're um, – you know, if, if you can just get in, I mean, playoff appearances are hard. They're not just handed out. You, you, you don't know what's going to happen year in and year out. So while you can plan for the future at the same time, you've got to figure out what is right. Because if, if we have a shot, if we're in the mix, maybe we go for it because we, didn't, we don't know if we'll be back in this position. I mean, we talked about the Giants. I think the Atlanta Braves are, are in a difficult position, not as difficult as what the Giants are. But they have so many prospects. They are talent-rich at the various levels below the major league level, but yet they are a viable contender in the National League. So do you give up some of that young, controllable talent in the effort of really going for it and really adding some big pieces for your stretch drive? Yeah, what we've seen over the last couple years, and really for the most part going back to 2010, is that the teams that have won the World Series – they've made pretty much a a significant splash, whether it was Evaldi last year, Verlander Mm -hmm. the year before, or Oldis Chapman the year before that for the Cubs. So talk about that, bringing another big name into your clubhouse, how that's such a huge shot in the arm. Well, listen, you you just detailed it, right, is that uh, when when game changers walk into your clubhouse, I imagine that these guys are thinking, okay, let's go. This is is a – uh, someone that changes the room, changes the dynamic. Um, you know, I think Madison Bumgarner is one of those guys. Um, but again, what what do the Giants do? I mean, Bruce Bochy, this is his final year. Do you owe it to that room, that clubhouse, that fan base to 
to add instead of sell. Um, but but you're right. Uh, I I don't know. But Bumgarner is the big is the big key. He's the big name. To a lesser extent, I think uh, Marcus Stroman is certainly someone that could um, could be an extra added piece. I, I think Trevor Bauer uh, is is a little bit of is definitely a game changer. But again, what does Cleveland? I mean, Cleveland's fighting for the division title. They're right in it. But um, so there's some very difficult decisions that are going to have to be made here very quickly. Let's end on this. We, before we had you on, had Rick White on, the president of the Atlantic League. And we're going all through all the – it really is fascinating. And they're now going to go with what we're calling robo-ump the rest of the year. Mm -hmm. And I I had to ask, I said, you know, how do the hitters like it? How do the pitchers like it? He said both, both sides absolutely love it. How much are you guys paying attention to what they're doing in the Atlantic League? Yeah, we're paying close attention to it. We've talked about it a couple of times in the morning. Um, not only the, the, the robo-ump or the electronic strike zone, but the idea of, again, another uh, Atlantic League rule where you can, quote-unquote, steal first, which I think is uh, I think is very fascinating. I mean, you talk about a, an extra dynamic. Uh, it, it almost uh, screams to the traditional leadoff hitter. So I, I'm all for trying things. I, I'm, I'm glad that Major League Baseball is in partnership with the Atlantic League to – try some of these new initiatives and just see if it works. And if, if they work at this level, let's try them at the big league level. And if everyone hates it at the big league level, we'll scrap it and go back to, to, you know, the, the old rules, but there's nothing wrong with trying new things. And, and I just wish that uh, um, baseball uh, as an industry would be a little bit more flexible when it comes to uh, trying new things or, or tweaking things or making some rule changes um, because there's nothing wrong with trying something new. Well, been a big fan of your work for a long time, and you guys do an outstanding job on the MLB Network and with your morning show. Thank you so much for the time, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. We got the big right-hander, Chris Bassett, with us here as we're getting you ready for a little A's baseball coming your way, game two of the four-game set against the Texas Rangers. How are you doing? Good, you. I mean, does it get any better than this right here on the field? This weather's perfect, isn't it? Yeah. And we're just having uh, CJ Nikowski who does uh, television for the Rangers. He goes, God, it's just so nice to be out of the humidity. Yeah. To say the least, I, w- I would definitely agree with that one. And you just pitched in the humidity. It's not easy to do, is it? It's not fun, to say the least. Do you tire? I mean, you, you're sweating a lot. Do you tire out quickly? Uh, you definitely tire out faster than normal. But, I mean, it's more so just uh, the grip of the ball is a little different than this. So, I mean – Going from little to no humidity to a lot of humidity is definitely a challenge. And I think about you, and I remember we talked about this down at spring training. You know, this has to be such a special year for you. And I I know we talked about a glitch in Tokyo, but I remember saying, you're going to be back and you're going to help this team. And before you know it, you were back. Just being healthy and pitching and being in the rotation, just how wonderful has this been for you? It's great. Um, Obviously, a lot of people kind of – got me here got me back to being healthy but I mean it's more so just a sense of relief for me like personally just because I know like this organization Bowmel I mean they can they can count on me every fifth day not worry about hey is he healthy is he anything else so just pencil me in every fifth day kind of thing that's just sense of pride sense of relief that we're kind of at that point and I think for you you know everybody makes Tommy John out to be so easy now like oh he's just gonna have Tommy John 
and you're living proof that it's just not it's not that easy and it takes a lot of time and there can be setbacks and yeah. it's got to be it's very frustrating so we need to stop people acting like it's just some easy surgery no i mean any surgery no matter what it is even like normal life i mean when a doctor cuts you open it's a grind from there i mean you gotta you gotta you gotta really really work just to get back to being healthy so um Obviously, we have a great support group here to uh, really like push you every day get through those dark days and everything else. But I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely a grind. Yeah, because I get you know I get the call on right now in the post game show is get AJ Puck up here, and I'm like, that's not how. When you have Tommy John, they have a plan for you. They're mm-hmm. never going to rush you, and you got to stick by that plan. And I think with you and a lot of people need to realize that time is your friend. Yeah. You need to, you, you know, we used to be, let's rush them back before 12 months. Now we're looking more 14 months or sometimes even longer. I, I think I think time is your friend, but I think rest is your biggest friend. Um, to me, the, the biggest jump I had was that off season that I had off from doing nothing. Because, I mean, people don't realize once you have Tommy John, you don't have that off season because you're not, you're not taking those two, three months off kind of thing from not throwing or whatever it may be. You're, you're in Arizona. You're, you're constantly grinding. Um, so going from a seven-month seven month schedule to a 12-month constant grind, and then you somehow end up, like, say, in July or something, and it's like, all right, you got five more months or three more months until the, the next offseason comes. That's the hardest part is just that time off where it's like, hey, you don't need to go to rehab tomorrow kind of thing. So, I mean, that offseason after Tommy John, when you finally can, like, truly relax, that's, that's I feel like, to me, is the biggest jump physically when people really say hey i'm back to being normal when did you say and feel my god i'm back i got it back i can throw i can let it loose i'm healthy mm-hmm. again when was that this spring training no doubt um i just kind of threw a couple of bullpens uh got into games and i just saw bowmel look at me a little different i looked at bowmel a little different and i think he knew and i knew that hey you're pretty much back to what we had before tommy john and i mean it was a huge sense of relief. It was a huge uh, sense of accomplishment, kind of thing. Just because, I mean, I was like, the whole the whole year before that was a whirlwind. The whole year before that was doubts and stuff like that. Where, where not even performance-wise on the field, it was more so just feeling physically-wise. It just not ever truly feeling what I remembered feeling before Tommy John. So yeah, the, the biggest thing for me was just getting to spring training this year and truly feeling normal. You know what's funny about watching you pitch is like you'll look up at the television and go, wait a minute, he's not going from the windup anymore. Now he's going from the yeah. – I mean, I never know where you're going. You're yeah. going to be the stretch. You're going to be in the windup. What is up with that? Uh, I mean, you don't, you don't have to watch nine innings or whatever to see my mechanics are a little funky to say the least. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, when you're uh, – yeah, I mean – Thanks, Liam. When you when you're seeing Liam Hicks just threw yeah. him a baseball. Yeah. Yeah. When, when you're when you're seeing my mechanics, and then you add, say, I'm facing the Houston Astros, where my adrenaline's kind of way up from normal, so so to speak. It kind of speeds me up, and so I go to the stretch more so to slow myself down, simplify my, my mechanics. It gets me in line a lot more. So um, yeah, it's just more so me monitoring where I'm at physically, and I don't mean physically as in do I feel good or bad. It's more so of like, hey, how's your adrenaline right now? Are you too sped up? Um, and if I am, it's just a very simple fix for me to go right to the to the stretch. And it, like I said, it just simplifies my mechanics, and 
I'm able to start throwing strikes, quality strikes, and stuff like that. Yeah, because I, I, I say all the time, you're like a big prey manis out there because yeah. you're just all arms and legs. And I got to think that plays to such a huge advantage for you. It's got to be tough for hitters to see the ball coming out of your hands. Yeah, I'm, I mean, deception is a massive part of my game. And I just – it was never really something that I, like, worked on where it was like, hey, like, throw your arms and legs everywhere and that's going to really help you in, in the big leagues kind of thing. It just, I guess, God given that I just – always through like that and obviously it's it's translated to so far being pretty good here when i think about that last road trip talk me through how these games the regular season games but they sure felt and looked like minnesota mm -hmm. and houston like they were playoff games no doubt i mean the atmospheres at both of the places were pretty incredible um heck i when i pitched in minnesota it was hot as heck, and I'll tell you right now, I would not have been at that game, and they were dang near sold out. And like you said, it was no doubt playoff atmosphere with playoff caliber teams. So, I mean, we're in, a, we're in a stretch of schedule where we're facing playoff teams, and the environments are definitely feeling like that. The teams that we're facing feel like that. I mean, these are must-win games, and I, know, I understand it's in July, but all these games really, really count for us. I mean, we know that at the end of September when the season kind of ends. Yeah, I, I tell people, stop telling me about a marathon. This is a sprint to the finish line. And all these games with the way everybody is bunched up. And as we talk to Melvin, Melvin doesn't want to talk about the wild card. He still wants to win the division. Mm -hmm. So I like how you say that. Yeah, you need to win these games. You need to beat these teams. Yeah, uh, I think I think it's a, a feeling out process of where you're at until the all-star break. And then once the all-star break hits, I mean, it's there's no more marathon. It's definitely a, every game you got to win because we know – if it's the wild card or the division or whatever it is, it's going to come down to one game. It really is. So, I mean, you give away a game here, you give away a game there, at the very end you're going to look back and be like, dang, we won those games and that made the difference. Or we're going to look back and say, dang, we lost those games. So every day, I mean, obviously Bo Mel does an unbelievable job. I mean, we have young Chapman and Olsen running around kind of crazy. Just every day we're coming with it. And, I mean – Obviously, the team, like I said, the teams that are coming in here, we're going to there. They're, they are, too. So, I mean, th there's no more marathon by any means. Yeah, you just mentioned those two guys. And I think the strength for me, we're always talking about home runs. But the strength for me, this team, because I want to say they've only made 55 airs on the year. Mm -hmm. Talk about this <clears throat> defense, knowing that what you have behind you is as good as anybody. Yeah, uh, I think – Everyone, everyone obviously knows Matt Chapman. I mean, platinum glove winner. Um, but I, I think, I, I mean, obviously he won a gold glove last year, so he has got the credit he's, he's deserved. But I think Matt Olson's still underrated. I really do. Um, the amount of plays that he saves us just because of, say, crazy throws or whatever it may be, and he's scooping everything, he's, he's unbelievable at first base and just – the amount of outs that he saves and the amount of runs that he saves is just incredible. But like, like I said, Chapman's just world class. He's the best. He's the best defender, honestly, to me in, in all of baseball. Um, those two at the corner is just it makes baseball a whole heck of a lot easier for a pitcher. <laughs> knowing, knowing knowing the field. I mean, the field's obviously the same dimensions, but with those two on the field, it, it, the the field looks looks and feels a whole heck of a lot smaller. I'll tell you that. Let's end on this. The ball you're holding in your hands, mm -hmm. it's different, mm -hmm. and we know it. We got yeah. I, I have the astrophysicist Meredith Will, Doctor Meredith Will's on. She's proven that it's different. Can as you as a pitcher, 
have you w- what's the ball been like for you and when did you know that hey this is a little bit different uh it, it, it's just slicker i mean ev- everyone everyone knows that that it's just you it, it's harder to grip the baseball nowadays so i feel like sinker ball guys are having a little harder time um getting some sink um guys that are really really good at manipulating a pitch they're having a little bit more difficult time but then you see four seam guys kind of surviving or thriving because four seam guys really don't rely much on grip they more rely on just ripping the ball so um yeah it is what it is we're all playing with the same ball it's just i think i think changing the baseballs is a little little touchy for especially pitchers oh did you see what verlander yeah i'm i mean I, I think every pitcher in the league almost dang near is with him, though. That's a thing. I mean, if you change the ball, I think you should give us a little bit of a heads up at least. And the thing about Verlander, which we actually looked it up, we didn't know Major League Baseball <coughs> has bought part of Rawlings. Mm-hmm. It was Verlander who brought it up. I went, I didn't know that. We've Googled it. Like, you can't find. Mm-hmm. It's like he let the cat out of the bag. Like I said, it's a really touchy, touchy subject because no one wants to be – that guy but I mean it is what it is I mean you see you see the ball flying out of the ballpark at an absurd rate um guys that used to be five six home run guys that were known to like contact hitters are now at 20 home runs and it's like that wasn't a change of just like your swing angle or launch angle or whatever the heck it may be that like something changed and is it good for baseball that's two to be determined If, if it is then so be it I mean if the fans love it, then pitchers suck it up because we got to deal with it. And, it, and obviously we got to deal with it right now. So it is what it is. I mean, you just you, you complaining about it. I don't think it's going to change much. It's like a little like six year old complaining to mom and dad. I mean, unfortunately, the ball is the ball. So yeah, I mean, we got we got to suck it up and deal with it. Hey, you're a class act. I always like having you on the show, whether it's this show or the pregame show. You know, we've been rooting for you for a long time. Keep it up and uh, get this thing to the postseason. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thank you. Your starting left fielder, Robbie Grossman, joins us. This is one of the cool things about doing the show right here. You know, we didn't know what time we were going to get you, but it's now your time. And uh, thank you for stopping by, which I think is the the best set in all the big leagues. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. I've heard a lot about this and uh, excited to be a part of it. You've been playing real well. When did it really start to click for you this season? Um... <sighs> Just, just repetition. Um, I, I had a tough little start. My first game, I felt like, oh man, this is this is gonna be great. And then uh, that's baseball. You, you you hit your rough patches and and uh, you, you work. You come out here and you, you bust your butt every day and try to get a little bit better at everything and uh, just trust what you've been doing. And uh, feel like I've been putting together some pretty good at bats and 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 the better the best is yet to come. I believe. Yeah, you've played really really well. We've talked a lot about it on this show and also the post game show. And I always want to know from guys, who, now that you've been here a while, what were your thoughts about the Oakland Athletics before you got here, and what is it like now since you've been in this clubhouse? Um, it's exactly what I thought. Um, playing against these guys for so many years, and, um, just guys that grinded the bats out, um, led by not the best manager in baseball. Um, and, and the way they went about it, there's the energy was always here. They always played with a passion, and uh, I'm excited to be a part of it when when – I was talking to my agent in the offseason about coming over here. I was like, yeah, sign me up. I want to be here. Uh, this is a good fit for me, and 
I, I, I love playing for teams that are like this. And it's it's a clubhouse that every single year just has a bunch of great guys in it. Yes, yes. Um, we kind of have a little bit of forced camaraderie here, and I think that's that kind of molds what we have here. Um, we, we don't have any bad apples on this team, and everyone pulls for each other. Everyone's on the same page. Bo Mel said it in first day of spring. Hey, this is how we do things. We're going to do things this way. We need everyone to buy in. Everyone's bought in, and uh, look where we're at now. Yeah, that's so important, you know, that old expression, pulling on the same rope, because I'm sure you've been in certain clubhouses. I'm sure you've been on same teams where not everybody's on the same page, and that's that's a recipe for disaster. Well, it, yes, and uh, like I said, it starts from the top. It starts with Bob. He's a, he's a great leader. He, uh, he tells it how it is. He'll give you compliments when you need him, and he, he's the – he, he runs this thing, and this is why year in, year out, you have the product that the Oakland A's have every single year. And I'm always fascinated, and I know I talked, I think you were in Houston when we might have talked about this earlier in the season. We had you on by the phone. Um, it's just being a switch hitter is so tough. It's tough to hit one way. Now you have to do it as a switch hitter, and, and you've got a right-handed swing, you got a left-handed swing. The maintenance you have to put in is more than what a normal guy does. Talk about how tough it is to switch hit. Uh, it's a it's a unique um, trait, especially in this game, and there's not too many of us left. Um, and it's it's I enjoy the challenge every day of having two swings to work on. Um, I that's what got me into switch hitting. That's what keeps me switch hitting, and and uh, that's that's something I've always prided myself on and enjoyed is the challenge of having two swings. And you were originally a right-hander, right? Mm -hmm. So it was weird. I grew up le throwing left-handed but hit right-handed. And uh, and one day I just decided, hey, I want to start hitting left-handed. And credits to my summer ball coach at the time. He said, well, if you're going to do it, there's no going back. And ever since that day, I've, I've never gone back. So, But you've never had to face that right-handed slider to, as no, a right-handed no, hitter. No, I haven't. <laughs> but, uh, That's the advantage, right? Yes, it is. Um, there's definitely advantages to it. But there's a lot of, uh, like you said, maintenance and work that goes involved in it as well. You know, one guy we used to talk a lot about, a guy you played with, a guy you trained with, and uh, knowing you were coming on today, I wonder if you've talked to him, Jed Lowry. He's had a he's had a rough run at it. He hasn't played it all this year. And Jed Lowry was a great Oakland athletic. Oh, yes. I mean, he was an extra base hit machine. You knew every game that he was hitting third. Have you talked to Jed? How's he doing? I haven't talked to Jed. Um, I hope him the best. I wish him the best. Um, I know they just – they dearly miss him over there, and uh, and um, I, I just hope for the best for going forward with him. Yeah, it's tough when, 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 when he can't stay healthy. You know, the best ability is availability, and that's rough for a professional athlete when you, you don't feel like you're a part of the team, you're constantly rehabbing. It's just not fun. No, um, it's that's a, tough, uh, that's a tough place to be. Um, I wish that on no one. And like I said, uh, Jed, Jed will be back, and we'll see him hit – Multiple base hits, um, but in a different league, so it's good and it's not against us. We got this hard trading deadline coming up, and there's been no movement. But I got to think you've probably been in it both ways to where you're on a team that's a buyer and a team that's on a seller. How nice is it to be on a team that's a buyer? Because we know the A's are actively looking to still help this team. It's great. Um, I think it's a tribute to what these guys have done um, as a group to, to this point, um, showing the front office that, hey, we're, we're right here. Um, a couple more pieces would be nice, but uh, we really like the team that we have here. And I've also been on teams where we've sold at the deadline, and and we look up and we're in the wild card. And um, it's uh, it's definitely uh, 
it's 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 nice to be on a team that we've we've played so well at, to this point, and we're looking forward to playing even better on the way going forward. What do you think that would do to a team? Because there's a lot of them in the National League right now. I mean, it's like everybody in the National League is pretty much still kind of in it other than the Marlins. Mm -hmm. What would that do, let's say, like you're two games back of the wild card or one game back, and all of a sudden your team starts making trades, selling guys for prospects. What do you think that kind of mentality would do to a ball club and inside the clubhouse? Well, it happened when I was in Minnesota in 17. Um, we had a rough week. We went to, like, L.A. and the Dodgers spanked us for a couple games and we had a rough road trip and then we sold off our closer and we sold off I can't remember who else it was and and we kind of had a team meeting and we rallied around that and we ended up making the wild card game yeah and so um you can never count out guys in this game and how crazy this game could get at the last few months of the year um but uh like I said I'm um excited I'm just uh grateful I'm in Oakland A and grateful for the the team I've been placed on and I think about your team right now going forward. And A.J. Hinch, I think he said it best. He goes, hey, the one team, no disrespect to Texas or Anaheim, the one team the Astros worry about are, are you guys, the Oakland Athletics. But as you know, they've got a lot of talent. What's it like when you match up against the Houston Astros? Well, they know that we have a lot of talent, too. As you can see, they, they set it up where we weren't supposed to face Verlander and Cole and when we went in there. And they – they lined it up so they bullpen day one day a couple weeks ago so they could line it up so we face the big dogs. And um, that that shows you all you need to know. And uh, we felt like we played played pretty good ball, but we, we still got better ball to play. We we faced them I don't know how many more games. I know at least two more series, and we're looking forward to it. Yeah, I think you got seven more against them, and that those head-to-heads mean so much in the standings, and that's why – we have the Bob Melvin show here on Ace Cast Live, and Bob doesn't. Bob never wants to talk about the wild card. I never ask him about the wild card. It's still all about the division, and that's your guys' mentality. 100%, because um, you don't want to leave this up to just one game, and uh, and that's the goal for all the teams pushing for the playoffs is uh, don't put it in the position where you have to play one game to determine your outcome. So tonight here on A's Cast, we're going to have our normal broadcast with, with, with Ken Korak and Ray Fossey uh -huh. on our ra radio stations, 860, 1140. But here on A's Cast, on the TuneIn app, this is, so yeah, I don't yeah, know if you, yeah. do you guys know we have a 24-hour yeah. station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're going to do a sabermetrics broadcast tonight. How much are you into analytics, and how much do you utilize that in your game? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a believer in the numbers. Um, there's a lot that have come out in the last five to eight years about the numbers. And and, and it, there's so much numbers out. There's so many numbers out there that you could take it so many ways. But there is a lot of good information that could help a lot of guys on the field. And you, you've seen it, um, even with the launch angle and the release. And there's so many numbers, but it, you have to kind of tailor it. It's another part of it, being a player in this day and age is tailor it to yourself to how can this make you better. And you know StatCast loves you defensively. Do you know that? Yeah, but StatCast has hated me defensively <laughs> before too. So, um, but I've used some of those numbers to uh, improve on what I'm doing in the def on defense and in the box. And how much video do you watch? I watch too much, probably. Um, I'll admit that that I I watch too much, or some days I like I can't go in there because I don't want to. I don't I don't need to see anymore. I don't need to nitpick at anything else. Um, just. Uh, that's that's kind of the love-hate relationship with the numbers and the video yeah. and everything we have nowadays as a player. Um, it's it's trying to find that 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 happy medium. Because at some point it's got to be see ball hit ball. Yes, yes, and uh, like the old phrase, dumb it down. Um, 
This is a uh, very challenging game, but you, it's, it's an easy game. After a very rough road trip, and we'll end on this, I think you guys got to kind of be licking your chops right now to get back home and have a nice long homestand. Yes, this is a big homestand. Um, like I said, every, every game that we have from now on is, is our biggest game of the year. And it doesn't matter who we're playing, and, and we're looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm glad you put it that way. I've been trying to tell the fans, don't give me this marathon crap anymore. Yeah. It's a sprint to the finish and to the postseason. Yes, it is, uh, especially where we're at and – and uh, how crazy baseball can get these last two months. Well, I'll tell you what, one of the reasons why the A's are where they are, because if we ended it right today, we'd be in the postseason, is because of the way you've been playing left field and the way you've been swinging it. So stay hot. We appreciate you coming over, and uh, good luck in this homestand. Thanks for having me on. You know what's great about being in the business of baseball? So we talked to Cara earlier today, and we're celebrating women in baseball, but when you're in scouting and you're going around the country, you got no clue what's going on other than what's going on in baseball. Haley, I asked you, hey, it's women. At I have no clue. <laughs> I've been traveling around scouting. Yeah, been traveling for the past month and a half, uh, seeing some pro teams, getting ready for the trade deadline, um, trying to find some you know, prospects for us, hopefully here in the next year, couple years ahead. What does that mean to you that you're the only woman to have this job in baseball? Uh, it's pretty amazing. You know, I love being a role model to other women that want to get into the game and uh, kind of forging the path, being the lead example, um, doing things for the first time, kind of creating, you know, example for, for everyone out there. And um, it's great. I love it. You know, I, I think about where we are today versus when I first started covering the game, like in 96, 97, to where you had to be a former player. We've got so many people in front offices now who never played baseball. We're bringing all these smart guys in from all the MIT and all these different places. Just what is the game like today from a standpoint of, you don't have to be a guy who played in the big leagues to work for a team. Yeah, I would say the majority of people around me, whether it's scouts or front office, most people never played past high school level. So the really only the difference is that I'm female compared to them. Um, we have the same background, business degrees, PhDs. Um, and, you know, it, the one thing that's very different is, like, what do you wear on the road? That's kind of, like, one question that I've always faced um, because there's no other woman out there of what you do. So, um that's kind of what been one thing that's been different for me that hasn't been showed by the other men around me, um, like what's appropriate and kind of setting the boundaries for that, um, which is actually like kind of an interesting thing that people don't think about or, um, you know, going to spring training and there's no locker room for women. We're building one right now, but things like that that are, you know, every day in the baseball organization that like we just never had. You mean you just don't wear jeans and a golf shirt every day? No, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much standard procedure around here. It is. Here. It is. It's standard. Or Lululemon pants, you know? Yeah. They don't make those for women the same way. <laughs> so, scouting coordinator, take us through everything that you do for the organization. Yeah. So, I basically, from, from the front office, help support our international amateur and pro departments. Uh, what that means is making sure that our guys that are out in the field every day do the best job that they can do, uh, whether that's from expenses to travel to um, technology they need with the radar guns, stopwatches. Um, anything in our database that we have. So wherever we ha house all of our reports, making sure that's clean, accessible to them, ready to go for the draft. Um, my main responsibility throughout the year is leading up to the Rule 4 draft in June. Um, I need to make sure that all players are registered with MLB. Um, and then I also am um, kind of a liaison between our medical staff and all the amateur players, trying to make sure that we can get them cleared, um, kind of see what condition they are and before we take them. Um, prepare for the Rule 4, and then I actually, in the, in the room, select all the players for our team and announce the selections um, over the radio and conference call with MLB. 
Um, so that's kind of the main responsibility. We have 20 area scouts um, that I help support out in the field every day all across the country. Um, 17 international guys, um, you know, ranging from the Dominican Republic to Australia. Um, and then uh, we have eight pro scouts uh, that cover all the major league down to the minor league teams across the U.S. So got everyone um, kind of all over the world. And the basic, my job is to make sure the communication keeps flowing between everyone, uh, make sure they can get out there, do their job, um, kind of make sure that also they're heard by us. You know, they're, it's hard for them to get their word up to everyone since they don't get the FaceTime with us like we do. So we try to do meetings with them, um, you know, try to get everything they can to the GM that I can so that they can be heard. How much different is it dealing with scouts that are in the U.S. versus dealing with the scouts that are international? It's very similar. Um, a lot of, you know, they're both like have a share of passion for baseball. So, every, you know, pretty similar backgrounds. Um, the world of scouting in both is very different. Um, so adjusting my scale and understanding um, kind of how they're, they're evaluating players is, is a lot different. Um, you know, we have a lot of restrictions age-wise on these international players. There's no draft. Um, so understanding the rules and regulations and kind of helping those guys through that a lot more just because there's so many more limitations on the international side. Um, and then on the amateur side, it's pretty basic. You know, the guys have a pretty good idea of what can, what and what can happen since the, the draft is so regulated. Um, so there's not much difference between the, the type of person that's out there, but um, the way that I have to kind of communicate with them is, is very different and uh, make sure that we're following a lot of standards internationally. The international signings always get me. It's like, we're giving a 16-year-old how much money? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. This, this year was a big one. It's exciting. We'll see where he goes. But uh, he's in Arizona now, getting ready, you know, getting adjusted 16. to pro life. Yeah. Oh, man, that is just unbelievable. Uh, Long-term goals, I got to think, for you is to be a general manager, right? Yes, that's a, the ultimate goal. Right now I'm just trying to get well-rounded and um, understand every facet of the game right now that I can. I've been mostly directed on the, the scouting side. I have a little bit of sports science background with the Cincinnati Reds and um, worked with like force plates and bat sensors and all that technology. And I'm really trying to learn a lot of the on-field stuff now, you know, interaction between the coaches and the players, moves, um, how do you know to design, um, the, you know, pitching for the day. How does the manager kind of go about those those thoughts in their head and that's something that I'm trying to get better at but just become the most well-rounded executive I can for now and then hopefully um, the first female GM but we'll see you know it's uh, it's going to come at some time we just don't know when the Cincinnati Reds didn't want to lose you if I've read correctly right oh yeah they uh they wanted to keep me there you know it's it a hard hard thing to say no to I spent a year with the organization loved loved the front office there um, was learning a lot but being from the Bay Area it was hard to pass up an opportunity to work for a team um, close to home and be close to family, especially with the hard schedule, baseball schedule, miss so many important events with your family and friends that being able to swim ho swing home after a, a game for Mother's Day for dinner or something, it was really important to me. And what is it like working for an organization where you got guys that have been here for a really, really long, Keith Lippman, I think was this year 49 or 50, you think how long Bean's been here? You think how long David has been here? Uh, Kubota. What is it like joining this group uh, of these guys that have just had this these incredible, incredible longevity and careers here with the A's? It's fantastic. I mean, the loyalty at the A's is one of the greatest I've ever seen at a team. And, um, you know, to learn from so many experiences that they've been through. And Eric's been in my position. Um, 
you know, he's moved all the way up to scouting director, and it's pretty amazing to get his insight and, and still where he's going with scouting. Um, one of the funniest things to me with, with scouting is that, you know, we're always getting better at it. So um, I think, you know, it can only continue to grow in the game. But being around people that have been around the same team for so long, it's amazing to see the relationships form and, um, and how uh, they work together through everything and, and they've still evolved you know it's not no one's really been stuck in their ways a lot of new ideas have come up throughout the years and it you know continuing to change as we progress and the game changes um, as well so this is like one of the best sets you're ever going to have right for a show and what's cool about it is that we get to see everything that goes on and you can you know look down in the bullpen and rap soto and the high-tech cameras and we have all the stat cast and we have every you know so scouting has changed Talk about technology and how technology has helped change scouting. Yeah, so it's it's really added to it. Um, you know, nothing is taken away from what we see, and I think there will always be the element of having to go to games and, and watch the players firsthand. Uh, you get a lot of off-field stuff that you can't evaluate through statistics, but it's kind of like a checks and balances system. You know, we really use it to support what we're seeing on the field or even find players, you know, that we may be interested in that haven't performed as well. Um, you know, kind of look at their history and look at back at the stats for all of that to help support our findings um it's it's pretty crazy how much information we have on these players these days um you know we we started a pretty young early age with them in high school and uh build a track record especially as they pass through um to the majors and we kind of keep that history as we go so it it really helps support our decisions especially with um signings and trades later on and when i look think about travel ball showcases all the things that weren't around when i was playing back in the day that how much does that help you in scouting to where the best players are constantly playing against each other in amateur baseball and instead of having just to go look at a guy at his high school you can see him at these tournaments you can see him travel ball talk about how that has helped scouting too yeah it's great i mean it, it's great for the players it's great for the scouts it works both ways players get to talent uh, showcase their talent events against the best talent throughout the U.S., especially these high school players at area codes. Um, they get to pitch against the best hitters. The hitters get to hit against the best pitchers. So you can really see how they'll do against competition coming into pro ball. Um, as you said, it's hard to evaluate a player in at a high school by himself in a league that may not have as much competition. And um, it's really great to have a, kind of a one-stop shop for scouts as well to sit at a tournament for a week, see some of the best talent, um, and knock it out kind of pretty quickly. Um, and I think you don't get you don't get that very often. Well, it's how everybody missed on Mike Trout. Yes. Billy Bean and Farhan went over there and said, ah, two games, I didn't look that great. They take Grant Green, but everybody was afraid of the, the, the New Jersey and the competition. I think Trout's going to be okay. Yeah, we'll see. I think he's going to be a pretty good player. <laughs> <laughs> will be? <laughs> yeah. He's, I think he'll – I think it'll, uh, the contract will be worth it someday. Yeah. I think it will be worth it. Well, we really appreciate the time, and it's fascinating. And we, I, I told my producer we'd love to have you on because we know this is this week we're celebrating women in baseball, and you're a pioneer. To, before we let you go, how many articles have been written on you? Uh, a handful, some here and there. You know, some local newspapers here growing up in Marin, uh, they've kind of uh, taking the story to me growing up in Marin, going to high school there, and um, and then some more national publications. And what are they? Uh, the Washington Post and Wall Street Journal. Yeah, I think I've heard of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's big time. Thank you so much. And uh, I know you – And uh, I almost feel bad because we had David on earlier. Now we have you. Do you got, your work – 
this is a big time for you guys. I mean, you guys are really busy. So for you to come down and do this, I really appreciate it. No problem. It. Thanks for having me. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.